Let me just kind of give you a brief summary of what this is all about. Every single one of us go through these seasons of wondering, where is God? Um, I don't know what your history is. I don't know what your family is like. Uh, my, my wife uh, grew up in a single mother's home. Um, her dad left when she was four, three, seven, so I'm a little off. <laughs> Seven, and uh, my parents were divorced when I was 15, and those are just, that's just one story. We can, we can share with each other all morning long of all the seasons that we've lived. If you have teenagers, you've probably got a thousand stories of just wondering, God, where are you? And uh, that's what we're talking about on, on finding God. And uh, I just want to point out as we get ready to dive in and talk about this guy named Job in the Bible... Many of you heard about him, but within the first three chapters, uh, he loses everything he has. Uh, He loses all of his livestock. He was very, very wealthy, so he had a lot of people working for him. The Bible calls them servants. We would call them employees. He had a lot of people working for him. Uh, He lost all of his children. This huge uh, tornado not literal, but this, this, it just got hit by a hurricane. I'm, I'm using a, uh, a, a parallel. And he just lost everything. And so he backs up and he's saying, God, where are you? And to make things even worse, not only did he lose everything, but he got boils on his skin, on his feet, on his legs, all the way up to the top of his head. And so he has this very poetic way of approaching God, far more poetic than how I would approach him. So I'm going to stop here and there while I'm reading and give you the Frankie international version of what he's trying to say. So let's dive right into it. Job chapter 23, verse 1. It reads like this. Then Job spoke again. My complaint today is still a bitter one. God, I'm still mad. Just so you know, that's what he's saying. And I try hard not to groan out loud. If only I knew where to find God, I would go to his court. I would lay out my case and present my arguments. Then I would listen to his reply and understand what he says to me. Would he use his great power to argue with me? No, He would give me a fair hearing. Honest people can reason with him, so I would be forever acquitted by my judge. I go east, but he's not there. I go west, but I cannot find him. I do not see him in the north, for he is hidden. I look to the south, but he is concealed. Frankie International Version, where are you? God, do you see me? Do you, do you see where I'm at? Do you, do you understand we have enough stars? We have enough planets. Stop making things. Pay attention to me. Help me out here. This is what he's saying. I've looked everywhere. I cannot find you. And so I'm going to talk about four things that when you're in a state of trying to find God, these are four things I'd like for us to remember. Number one is words words. And uh, I'll just take a quick sidebar. This message came to my mind. Uh, I think it was a Monday or Tuesday I was running and this, uh, this series was supposed to stop after number two. 
um, after the second sermon last week. But while I was running, this thought just came to my mind that we have got to open our mouth with God. We have got to actually say a prayer. It's, it's got to come out of our mouth. Just thinking, God, where are you? Just wanting God to move is not enough. We have got to, let's see if I can illustrate this, open our mouth. We got open our, our mouth. And we've got to say something to God. Just being in the car and being down and being upset that he's not doing anything is not enough. Walking around with a grudge and in a bad mood because God's not doing what you want him to do is not enough. We can walk around grumpy all we want to. That does not compel, oh boy, Frankie's in a bad mood. Oh, geez, he's grumpy. He's got his mean face on. That doesn't compel God to move. We've got to open our mouth and say something. Now, for those of you that that seems intimidating, I want to comfort you. You don't have to sound like Job and have to be as poetic as Shakespeare. You just got to say something. Even if you say the same thing over and over again, that's okay. Because God hears more than what you're saying. Let me illustrate. Let's say you walk up to somebody and you say, are you mad? And they go, no. (laughs) We're hearing more than what they're saying. If we go and say, hey, um, hey, are are you still upset with me? No, I'm fine. (laughs) They are not fine. Because we hear more than what they're saying. You ever walk into an elevator and say, hey, how's your day? Great. How's yours? Good. Not good. We all hear more than what somebody's saying. And so when you say to God in your car, I love you. I love you. I love you. You turn off the radio. You take your phone. You throw it in the back seat. I love you. I love you. I love you. He is hearing more than, I love you, I love you. You know what he's hearing? He's hearing all of your heart's cry around that sentence. So he's hearing you say, I love you, I love you. But he's also hearing in parallel, he's hearing you say, I love you so much, I don't want to live without you. I love you so much, I need you. He's hearing your heart cry at the same time. Let me share some verses with you. In, in, uh, in Philippians chapter 4, verse 6, it says this, Don't worry about anything which is very difficult. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done. Did you see that word? Everything, it says pray about everything. Let me hear it. Pray about, pray about, come on everybody. Pray about everything. Dear God, make this light turn green. Dear God, get this person in the slow.
where they belong. When somebody's in the fast lane and they're driving slow, they just lost a ruby out of their crown. Bink. You can't do that. You can't do that. It is so hard not to look at them when we pass them. You're in the wrong lane, dude. You're in the wrong lane. Are you with me? Pray about everything. Everything. Let me read a few verses to emphasize the point that praying involves <laughs> opening our mouth. We got to say something. Psalms 34 verse 1. I will praise the Lord at all times. I will constantly, what's that word say? His praises. Help me out here this morning. Psalm 63 verse 3. Because your loving kindness is better than life, my Shout, oh, you sound good now. My lips shall praise you. Watch this. Help me out on this last one. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. Therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God. That is the fruit of our giving giving thanks to his name. We have to say something. We have to say something. This is not a prayer. We got to say something. Now, some of you in this room say, excuse me, I got a question. If God knows everything and he knows how I think, why do I have to pray? He sees it all. Has anyone ever thought that? Okay, our neighbors thought that. Nobody in this room has ever thought that. I'll just tell you the answer anyway, and you can go back and tell your neighbor. Is that cool? Is that good? All right, so here we go. There's two reasons why we have to pray, even though God knows everything. Number one is he wants to have a relationship with you. A relationship. He doesn't just want to stand there and spin the world on his finger and just answer things like he's one big one-armed bandit. That's what I call slot machines, the one-armed bandit. You would just ask him things and he does it. No, he wants a relationship. He wants you to talk with him. He wants you to open your mouth. I, I went to this restaurant one of my favorite restaurants is called The Nook. You, you got to go in the country to get there. It's called The Nook. Has anyone ever eaten there before? Yes, like three people. Awesome. Awesome. The Nook, it's awesome. It, the, the, the reason why I like it is um, Allie and I are the youngest in this place by like 50 years. <laughs> There's not one person, not one person younger than 99, not one. And this couple came walking in. And um, they sat down and they looked like they had been married for about 70 years. And I'm just watching them. And the guy sat down. He took his straw out just like this. And he looked at his wife. And he went. Pretend like you didn't see that. He looked at his wife, who was obviously much cooler than me, and he goes, <laughs> Just pretend like that didn't do that. It went straight. 
How's it going so far? Is it going all right? So he blows the straw paper and hits his wife right in the face. So I see this and I went, this guy is about to die in the nook. He's about to die. And she looked at him. He looked at her. And she went. <laughs> she starts laughing. And he starts, she, they both start laughing. <laughs> so I looked at Allie and I took out my straw. <laughs> and I heard this little angel say, put it down, put it down, put it down, put it down. But I looked at this couple and I'm like, it's so difficult for people to stay married longer than 32 hours these days. How do they stay married for 70 years? Obviously, they have a relationship. There's talking involved. And God is no different than that. Number two reason why we got to pray and open our mouth Not just walk around, read my mind, read my mind. The number two reason is because he wants to be invited into the situation. Now, I've been going to the gym to work out uh, since I was 16, but I have quit 780 times. And then I take about a year off (laughs) and go back. Uh, This one particular situation, I was bench pressing. And uh, they have something called a spotter where you can just look at a random stranger and just say, hey, will you spot me? It's it's like kosher in a gym. Well, this one particular day, I was like, I don't need a spotter. I'm good. This guy asked me, hey, do you need a spot? I was like, I don't need a spot. You need a spot? So I laid down on the gym, uh, I'm sorry, on the, on, the, on the bench and went, oh, don't need a spot. You need a spot? No, I got it. No, I got it. He walked away. Don't need it. Don't need it. I see him walking away. This little voice, same voice that told me don't blow the straw at Allie said, call him back. I don't need it. Now, I don't know if you've ever been there, but when you can't get it off, what do you do? I got two options. I can call the guy back or I can die. I pick die. So now how am I going to get this bar off me? I'm going to dump those plates off. Don't bam, bam, bam. Bam, bam, bam. Nothing to see over here. Mind your own business. Nothing to see over here. Grab my phone like someone's calling me and get out. Just tump them off. Has anyone ever tumped them off before? You just tump them off? No? Okay, that's cool. You got a spotter. That's awesome. The guy says, hey, do you want some help? I don't need any help. I'm good. I got it. Do you need some help? I don't need any help. Okay, okay. That's the same way with God. Do you need a spot? Years will go by. You need a spot? I don't even go to church. I don't believe. I used to go to church, but I don't go. I don't think God really, you know, it's just a bunch of emotional quacks, you know. 
Why, why do you think? God's never, ever, ever, ever helped me. Really? Uh, you ever asked him? He can read my mind. <laughs> open your mouth. Ah, ah. Everyone open your mouth. One, two, three, go. Ah, ah, ah. And if you didn't brush your teeth, you'll never do that again. Number two, <laughs> weights. <laughs> weights. We got to eliminate our weights. I was reading a story. It was an antidote. And... Uh, uh, this guy went sh- uh, fishing and uh, he kicked his boat off the shore and he started fishing. It was at a beach and he was in this canoe or this bass boat. I, I can't remember. And he was fishing for a few hours and he was ready to come in. And so he put his pole away, put his bait away and all that kind of stuff. He grabbed his oars and began to row back to shore. And he wasn't moving. And he wasn't moving. And he wasn't moving. And he wasn't moving. He kept on rowing and rowing, and then he started, and you can start getting frustrated when, when your life isn't moving, right? He starts rowing. And then finally, he realized that he had his anchor down the whole time. No, he wasn't a Texas Aggie. He was just a fisher. He just, <laughs> just. I actually am an Aggie fan. We got a new quarterback this year. Huh? You thought it was over because Johnny was out. No, no, no. Oh, you don't believe me now. Like, I cracked on you. You think I'm playing both sides of the fence, right? Okay, I'm a Fairweather fan. Forget you. Okay, so <laughs> he realizes that there's an anchor down. He pulls up the anchor. And then he started moving again. Let me get that, uh, that anchor. I got a bell anchor here. This is uh, a typical anchor. Uh, this is about 25, you know, 35 pounds. I don't know. That... Uh, people use when they go bass fishing. They just drop this off. And I want to say to you that if you're ever pursuing God and you're ever wondering where he's at, pause for a minute and ask yourself, is there something in your life holding you down? Because God is like a Boeing 747. You're welcome to get on and you will go places that you never dreamed you can go. But there's certain things you cannot bring on that plane. You cannot bring guns and bombs and knives. You cannot bring it on. And when you go into a relationship with God, you've got to look around and say, is there anything in my life that he probably doesn't like? That he probably doesn't like. Watch what Job did. Job went down a a long checklist. He actually said this in Job 31. He started saying, have I lied to anyone or deceived anyone? If my heart has been seduced by a woman, or if I have lusted for my neighbor's wife, if, if I have been unfair to my male or female ser- servants when they brought their complaints to me, have I refused to help the poor or crush the hopes of widows? Have I been stingy with my food and refused to share it with orphans? Have I put my trust in money or felt secure because of my gold? Have I gloated about my wealth and all that I own? Have I, re, have I rejoiced when disaster struck my enemies or became excited when harm came their way? No, I, no, I have never sinned by cursing anyone or asking for revenge. Have I tried to hide my sins like other people do, concealing my guilt 
in my heart. He went down this checklist to ask himself, I'm looking for you, God. I just lost my whole family. I just lost my income. I just lost everything. Is, it, is there something in my life holding me back? You know what's my favorite part about my job, by the way? My favorite, favorite part is that I don't have to stand up here and talk about all the things that you're not supposed to be doing. Do you know why I don't have to do that? Because the Bible says this, that he is actually put on your heart what he doesn't want you to do. And so my job, every time you come here, is to remind you how much God loves you and to encourage you to open your mouth and talk to him because he wants to be in relationship with you. I don't have to talk about all the things that you're doing wrong. I don't have to. Watch this. This is what the Bible says in in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 16. This is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Let me give you an example. I went fishing the other day. Oh, this was a couple months ago. And uh, uh, this was a while back. I went fishing the other day. Uh, not the other day. It was a long time ago. Just let me get into my story, okay? <laughs> and uh, I'm out there fishing, and God just felt like he was 40 galaxies away. He was just gone. Just. And I asked God, I said, if, if I hurt you, are, are you upset with uh, You just feel so far. I was asking God in my own words, is there something in my life that you don't like? Because you feel really far. And all of a sudden, while I'm fishing, I was reminded about my last conversation with my wife before I went fishing. It went something like this. Hey, I'm going fishing. And she said, are you taking any of the kids? Because we have three. I said, no, going fishing. So you're just going to leave me here with all the kids. I've been working at the church today. I've been cleaning the house. And you're just going to leave me here with all the kids. Yeah. (laughs) What's the problem? I'm going fishing. I love you. Bye. She goes, so that's how it's going to be. You're just going to walk out and go fishing. Yeah. Yeah. Bye. So I leave. I'm fishing. I'm like, God, you sure seem far. All of a sudden, my conversation with Allie came back to my mind. It's almost like God saying, hey, you got something going on here, you smart mouth. Do you, you need to take your fishing rear, this is how God talks to me, you need to take your, <laughs> your fishing rear back to your house and beg for forgiveness, you chump. God didn't talk to you like that. <laughs> you go say, I'm sorry. So I did not enjoy the rest of my fish that day. It was, the whole day was messed up. You ever know you need to do something? It's like messing your whole day up. So here I come, back in the house. Hey, Allie! Allie! Now I know I'm in trouble. Because I know she can hear me and she's not saying. 
What? You mad at me? No. I'm in so much trouble. You know when they say no? And I started eating humble pie. Look, I just want you to know I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Next thing you know, I could feel my relationship with God. Just getting a little bit better. Check your ways. Number three is who. And I'm going to start picking up the pace. Who? We've got to remember who God is. What is he all about? And there's something that, that his, the friends of Job were just like, curse God. God does not care about you. He has turned his back on you. And the thing that I love about Job is when you read the whole book, you realize that he does not forget who he is. And if you're going to write down two things about who God is, remember this. God always loves you more than you think he does. And number two, his plans for you are better than you think they are. Do you ever get mad that God doesn't do what you're asking him to do? Hello? Hello? I applied for the job. I wanted that job. I needed that job. What's up? We get upset because we're convinced that our plan is better than that plan. Those of you that are single, some of you are thinking, thank God I'm single right now. I almost married that guy. All the single ladies, <laughs> right? Thank God, I really like that guy. We broke up, Whew, what a dirtbag. I didn't even know, I didn't even know. Single ladies, can you raise your hand and just testify to that? Thank you, so some of you are like, praise God. <laughs> You're finally preaching good. <laughs> Thank God I didn't marry that guy. Don't ever forget his plans for you are better than your plans for you. And he loves you more than you think he loves you. He always, I know God loves me, but he loves you more than that. But I, I, I know he loves me, but he loves you more than you know he loves you. I've been going to church my whole life. I'm convinced that he loves me. I know you're convinced that he loves you, but he actually loves you more than you realize he loves you. And the plan that he has for you is better than your plan for you. And all of your plans for you are good plans, right? You're not setting yourself up to like step in a bear trap, are you? You're not saying, how can I lose my job and lose everything I have? You got good plans, right? God's plans for you is better than your plans for you. Last and final point. Willpower. You know what's so awesome about the story of Job? Is in spite of the fact that he lost everything, he refused to stop worshiping God. Refused. You know how the whole story with Job unfolded? Satan walked into heaven with his cocky self. And God looked at Satan and said, what have you been doing? And Satan said, I have been walking from block to block, house to house, city to city, looking for people to torment. And God said back to him, you read the first three chapters of, your, of the book of Job. This is Obviously, I'm summarizing, but God says back to him, have you considered tormenting Job? And Satan said, I would torment him, but you have a hedge of protection around him, so I can't torment him. He goes, plus, you have been so good to him. Why don't you let me torment? Why don't you lift that hedge up and if you stop being good to him, I promise you, he'll stop serving you. God says, no, 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 no. Job loves me so much that if I never did a good thing for him again, he'd still love me. 
And they made a verbal bet. So God said, okay, you can do whatever you want with him, but don't kill him. And let's find out if he keeps on serving me. Let's find out if he keeps. And sure enough, he lifted the hedge. And and that's why you got to pray every single night. Lord, keep your hedge of protection around me, around my kids, around my house, around my family. So he lifts the hedge. Satan walks into his life and destroys everything. And now here's God looking at Job. Here's Satan looking at Job because now the heat's on. What is Job going to do when the good that he's expecting stops happening? What's he going to do? Job backs up and says, Lord, you've given to me and I praise you. The Lord giveth, the Lord taketh away. Blessed be your name. In other words, you can, if I lose it all, I'm still going to worship you. And see, this makes hell really mad because this is how hell causes casualties. When we have an expectation of God and God doesn't reach it for whatever sovereign reason and then we just back up and pitch the baby with the bath water, I'm out of here. Job doesn't do that. I'm going to worship you whether nothing good ever happens. I don't understand what's happening. I don't understand what's happening. If you're taking notes, please write this next sentence down. Just because you don't understand something doesn't mean you have to stop believing in everything. God is allowed to supersede our intelligence. He's allowed to do more than we can understand without explaining it. And at the end of the story, when you finally read all 40-something chapters, we find out that God looks back at Satan and says, I told you, he is faithful and restores everything back to him in even greater form. Do you and I have the willpower to hang on? Do you know how powerful willpower is? I read this book called Habits earlier this week, and, and it, it told a story about kids with marshmallows. Some of you may have, may have heard it, uh, and, and I'm just going to share it with you again. Uh, they took these marshmallows just like this, and they took all these, these preschool kids and sat them down and, and put marshmallows. And um, this is my last point, but I just want to emphasize it a little bit. They put these marshmallows on the desk and they said, okay, if you eat the marshmallow, you don't get two. But if you don't eat the marshmallow, when we come back into this classroom, we'll give you two. And so the kids would sit there and just play with it. Some kids were like, and they were watching them between a two-way mirror. Just eat them. And then they'd come back, and and the ones that didn't eat it got two marshmallows. And then these scientists, they, they came back 16 years later to look at the same kids. And the kids that did not eat the marshmallow, they scored higher on their SATs. They had higher grades. They looked at their friendship circle, and they had both friends that they had for a long time and they had new friends see when a person doesn't have any old friends they only have new friends you have to wonder why 
But if a person only has old friends but doesn't have new friends, you have to wonder why. Well, these kids were so healthy that they had both old friends and they had new friends. They were studying well, and what they realized that the same willpower that it took when they were in kindergarten to not eat the marshmallow was the same willpower that they needed to study for a test. To look at a friend and want to tell them off and say, shut up, and they bit their tongue. And they were able to retain relationships that willpower carried all the way through. And so when I read this earlier this week, the first thing I want to do was to go get my kids. I have three kids. I have a uh, 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 10-year-old, a (laughs) 7-year-old, and a 9-month-old. And and a 9-month-old. And so I I wanted to take the two oldest and sit them down and put a marshmallow and say, okay. But I didn't for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to know if my kids are dumb. I don't want to know. I just want to assume they're brilliant. Because if I come back in the room and my son's like this, I'm going to be like, Allie, those are your genes. And then I take our nine-month-old and give her a, a mushroom, a marshmallow, come back an hour later and go, that's my girl right there. That's the first reason. Second reason is they're too old. So the test doesn't count. But so I keep on reading the book. And lo and behold, willpower is a gift that you can learn. They proved this because these scientists in in Britain, here, let me read it to you. These scientists, they came, it was in 1992, two British psychologists walked into a school of Scotland's busiest Walked into, I'm sorry, they walked into Scotland's busiest orthopedic hospital and recruited five dozen patients for an experiment. These five dozen were exceptionally resistant to change. The patients, on an average, were 68 years old. Most of them earned less than 10000 a year and didn't have more than a high school degree. All of them had recently undergone hip or knee replacement surgeries. Recovering from a hip or knee surgery is incredibly difficult and requires lots of PT, physical therapy. And so they sat down with these, with these, these people, these five dozen people, and they gave them notebooks. And they said, we want you to write down everything that you're about to do in your physical therapy to work your leg out. And so half of them took the notebook and said, I got your notebook right here and trashed it. The other half, not only did they keep the notebook, they wrote down exactly what they were planning on doing in incredible detail, incredible detail. Like one guy said, I'm going to walk up to the first stop sign, then I'm going to take a right, I'm going to go two blocks, and if it's hot, I'm going to wear this shirt, and if it's raining that day, I'm going to wear this shirt when I pick up my wife from the bus station, and I'm also going to bring these pain pills if I start hurting. The ones that documented in detail what they were going to do, look at the contrast. Patients who had written plans had started walking two times as fast as the ones that didn't. 
They were getting in and out of chairs and bed without resistance almost three times faster. They were doing laundry and cooking their own meals quicker. And what they realized is that people who exhibited willpower in one area of their life, the people got better at regulating their impulses in other areas of their life. So they started eating better. They started thinking better. They started cleaning their room more, all because of willpower in one significant area. Now watch this. This is the biggest key. They looked at all of them, and I'm closing. Isaiah, come play some music so they believe me. (laughs) They looked at all of them, and they realized that there was a common denominator. Each person wrote a note to themselves on when the pain gets high and I get ready to quit, this is what I'm going to do. And they write it down. One guy said, every time I stand up, the pain in my hip is so bad, I just want to sit back down. And so he wrote in his journal, when you feel the pain, immediately take one step. Then you won't sit down. Here's my question. On the fourth point of willpower, when God feels like he's far away and he can't be found, what are you going to do then? Do we only worship together when the sky is blue and the lights are green? And we just got a raise. What are we going to do when he seems like we can't find him? It's, it's my deep hope that when you hit those seasons, number one, you will open your mouth. You won't think it. You, you will say something. You will check and see, Lord, is there anything in my life that's bothering you? You will back up and you will rehearse to yourself that God is good. And even though I don't understand everything that he's doing, I, I believe that he's good in everything some way, somehow. I don't know how, but it's going to turn around. And then number three, I have the willpower. If there's one thing I do good in my life, it's going to be not giving up. Now, we started this series with video. And I want to play the same exact video on finding God because it's such a great reflection of how a father and child meet. And the heart of God can often be seen through a father. And after this, I'll dismiss you. Take a look at this.